the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us in part two of the Let Us Reason podcast. We are going to continue uh, our discussion from last week, at least if you are listening to us on radio, it would have been last week. Uh, the, the topic that we have titled, myself and Dr. Jay Smith, where we were and where we're going. And uh, we're waiting, of course, on our guest to try to adjust his location because we've been having uh, some audio issues and Wi-Fi issues. And to summarize and recap what we have covered, Dr. Jay Smith uh, did an excellent job, as always, to summarize to us what were the issues that we are uncovering? I, I mentioned uh, uh, toward the conclusion of last episode that there's traditional views concerning the start of Islam, the history of Islam, about the man uh, who is called the prophet of Islam, the book that is called the Quran, and also the location, uh, the main location that Muslims always adore, and that's Mecca. However, there are so many discoveries that have contradicted all of these narratives. This is why Yasser Qadi wasn't kidding when he said there are holes in the narrative. Obviously, he recanted his statement out of fear of retaliation. Regardless, it still did not help him because he have suffered a lot of losses uh, from his own Islamic community. So right now, Dr. J, when he is able to join us back, we are going to continue now with newer discoveries. And that's why we want to talk about where we're going. That's why we want to talk about where we are going. And I, I'm going to wait until the control room just notify me when Dr. J is situated uh, because there are uh, newer discoveries, of course, that we are going to reveal to you. By the way, uh, Abdul Rafai, by the way, uh, please, Gedalia, block him, block him because he is a pig himself. So please go ahead and, and block him because these pigs come over here just to try to distract us from uh, what we are sharing because they're demonically possessed, obviously, and demons don't like the truth. And when they come over here, they try to, of course, distract people from the truth. Sadly, actually, demons know who Jesus is and they tremble. But those who are demonically possessed, they do not know who Jesus is and they do not tremble. But one day, one day, this pig and others like him who are demonically possessed going to bow the knee down for our Lord Jesus Christ and admit that he is Lord and Savior to the glory of God the Father. Amen to that and hallelujah, whether he likes it or not. So you still have the time to come to Jesus. If you refuse to come to Jesus, that's your problem, actually, because Muhammad is not going to help you. Allah won't be even in existence because he's just a figment of his own imagination. And only Christ will be your judge. So either be a sheep or a goat. You choose it. 
because the goat's going to be on the left. And boy, what a terrible place to be on the left of Jesus. But the sheep are going to be on the right. I'm back in again, yeah. And they are yeah, going to inherit the kingdom. With that in mind, we have now Dr. J back with us. Brother, thank you so much for these uh, uh, necessary adjustments. And uh, hopefully this will uh, help you, uh, of course, deliver your message. <laughs> so let's talk about now where we're going. We have about 19 minutes, give or take. So if you can take at least maybe a few of those minutes and uh, we'll, we'll wrap this uh, live stream. Okay, where are we going? I want to go back to where you came from. Uh, why don't you tell the world where you were born and grew up and uh, where you spent your childhood? Uh, I grew up, uh, like, which which town you're talking about? Yeah, which town? Yeah, which town? I, I grew up in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, which is on the West Coast, about maybe 45 minutes to an hour drive of Mecca, depending, of course, uh, where what part of Mecca you're going to. There is a freeway that takes right you there. there. We're on the coast of the Red Sea, obviously. Beautiful city, beautiful place for scuba diving, and the list can go on and on and on. Okay, and what have you been told about your city? How old is it? Well, I mean, uh, my city itself is definitely old, but I don't recall exactly the date. We take it for granted. Uh, I mean, I remember going to downtown and there were like, uh, you know, gates in there. One gate is the one that leads you to Mecca and other gates lead you to other places. But Mecca, of course, has always been the one on our heart. Even when you live in Jeddah, they always think about Mecca. And in, in our mind, Mecca has been like there for ages, obviously. Okay, so you've been told that it's as old as Mecca. So therefore, it goes back to the time of Adam and Eve. It goes back to prehistory is what you're saying. Yes, I mean, not necessarily exactly the same age of Mecca, but yes, it was there. It's existed. And the fact that it's on the port, it facilitated the idea, like you mentioned last time, that there, uh, there are those caravans, right, you know, that will come through. And, and you have now towns like Jeddah and Mecca and Medina who are the beneficiary of this. What do you think the historians are saying about what you just said? What do you think the historians' conclusions is? Well, knowing what we know today, uh, Jay, I'm pretty sure uh, they have refuted a lot of these things. Absolutely. And this is something that has just come out very recently. Dr. Gerald Hotting, who is my professor at School of Oriental African Studies when I was studying there in 1995, he has written a book looking at, in fact, he has zeroed right in on Jeddah, on your city. Now, if you were to go up to Wikipedia, which is pretty much standard with a lot of Wikipedia articles, it will tell you that, that uh, Jeddah goes back to 300, 400 BC, that there is, there are all kinds of artifacts that are supported uh, from the time of the Roman Empire. What's fascinating, all those reports on Wikipedia are written in the 14th and 15th century AD, redacted back to the, the, this ancient period, and there is no proof, no reference of how they came to their conclusions. This is nothing more than hearsay. Dr. Gerald Hotting did his study on Jeddah and found out that Jeddah did not exist prior to the 8th century AD. 8th century AD, that's 1,300 years ago. Have you heard that before? Uh, obviously not. And I tell you why, Jay. I mean, you can ask any Muslim if they've heard anything about Jeddah, Medina, Mecca. We are brainwashed to accept whatever we're being told, and we never question it. And you're not even trained to reason with this data. So even if you dare to reason, guess what? You get backlash from your authority, from your imam, from your parents, from your cousins. So you, you tend to just uh, you know keep it to yourself. Even right now, I know some young Muslims are familiar with our data, but out of fear of retaliation, they just keep it 
dumb down uh, or keep it private. Why do you think Jeddah was created in the 8th century? What would be your guess, just off the top of your head? You don't know where I'm going with this. You've not heard what I've said. Sure. You've not looked at any of my videos. This is all coming from scratch. I wanted to ask you, because you're from Jeddah, this is your city. You're a Saudi Arabian. You grew up there. I would like you to say, just put on your Muslim cap. Don't don't talk like a Christian now. Talk as if you were from Jeddah, a native agenda. Why would your city have been created in the 8th century? If I would take a shot at it, Jay, I would say there is a couple of reasons. One, it's on a port, so it allows you to use ships, uh, whether from uh, the southern part of the Red Sea or northern part to come in. Maybe it's even a gateway to Mecca. Maybe Mecca is being used at that time as now a prominent Islamic city, and they wanted a gateway to it from the sea port, basically, area. Absolutely. And why, therefore, would Jeddah have been created? To be a port for Mecca. And is that not what its function is today? Absolutely. Like I said, in the, uh, downtown Jeddah, the old downtown, there is a, uh, a gate called Bab Mecca, meaning the gate of Mecca, meaning you can you, you can go through that gate in the direction of Mecca, if that's where you head it. Okay. And obviously today it's a very thriving port and there's lots of people. The pilgrims come there. Millions of people probably use the airports and move on up there. But certainly it is there for to service Mecca, which means Mecca has to come first. That's right. So if there's no Mecca, there's no Jeddah. Obviously, if Jeddah served Mecca, then yes, you have to have the first in order for the second to happen. This is a no-brainer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're finding. Jeddah would not have ever existed until Mecca existed because there's no reason for Jeddah. Take a look at it. There's nothing really there. There's not really any great vegetation. It's uh, Today, it's become a beauty spot because it has so much money pumped into it. But certainly, back in the 7th century, there was no Mecca. If there's no Mecca, there's no Jeddah. Now, what's interesting, according to what Harting did find, is that there is a place called Yanbu. Have you ever heard of Yanbu before? Yambar. further up the coast. Yes, Yambar, yes. Sorry, I'm mispronouncing it like I always do. What was Yanbar? What was its function? Well, I mean, Yambar, of course, again, is another port city, uh, fishing, but now it's industrial city as well, of course. But what was the reason why Yanbar became foreign? It was there as a port for Yathrib. Yathrib is well-known. Yathrib is referred to. There is descriptions of Yathrib. We know about Taif, which is just southwest, southeast of which, uh, southeast of Mecca, which is up on the plateau. We know about Yathrib, and Yanbu was the port for, for Yathrib. So Yanbu is there, but it's not a very big port. It's just a small fishing village back in the 7th century, but no reference to Jeddah. So let's... And That's let, the let problem me, right let there. Let me just help people understand what you're trying to do. Yathrib, of course, is Medina, the supposedly the city where Muhammad went. Notice uh, Dr. J is showing you gateways from the seaside to Mecca and to Medina, and they would have been needed when these cities have been established, Mecca and Medina. Otherwise... Notice... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Otherwise, how did people get to big... Mecca and Medina before? There you go. Notice I put a big X right across both Jeddah and Mecca, because in the 7th century, only Yanbu and Yathrib would have been known, not Jeddah and Mecca. Now, can you see then why we're then zeroing in on Mecca? Because when you went to Mecca, now you used to go there quite often. You said that in a, lot, in a uh, press one that we had before. You used to go up there quite often to do your prayers. What did you notice when you went to Mecca? What did you go to? Where did you go to when you went to Mecca? 
Well, obviously, I mean, if you go to Mecca, the first thing in your mind is how can I get to the Grand Mosque? And at least if I'm not performing, whether the major pilgrimage or the even the minor, at least I want to go and look at the Kaaba and pray there and earn a lot of good deeds. But most of the time, because it was so close, uh, uh, you know, to our proximity, you would go there just so for the so-called minor uh, pilgrimage, which is so easy. You go there, you circumvent the Kaaba seven times, you run between the Safa and Marwa, the two mount, uh, you know, rocks uh, seven times, you do your prayers, and you even go and drink Zamzam, you know, uh, the water, and you just come home. Okay, so you go to the Kaaba. There is a picture of the Kaaba. You go to this building right here. Am I correct? That's right. Whenever you went there as a young child, as a young man, of course, you were still going there as a young man and when you were still Muslim. What did you think when you saw that building? Of course, when you look at it, of course, you're, you're at awe, the fact that this is now the symbol for Islam. But also, you know, in the back of your mind, some history about it. Uh, supposedly, it was built by Abraham. In fact, there is the Abrahamic station where you see the footprints of Abraham. It's right next to the Kaaba. Uh, you're also, you reminisce the fact that uh, Ishmael and Hagar were there when you look at the Zimzum well uh, for the, the water itself. You also remember, by the way, that this somehow, this uh, shrine was desecrated by some of the family of Muhammad who were pagans. And then Muhammad came and destroyed the idols that were inside. And now it becomes the symbol for Islam. And that's where Muslims face for prayer. Okay. When you were going around, the seven times you went around the Kaaba, did you notice anything that stood out, the one area that people tend to go to, that some people tend to want to get to, to touch and to kiss? Yes, there are two sides, actually. You have one that's called the uh, Yemeni corner, Ruqn al-Yamani, which is an exposed section, but you touch it, it still has the brick building uh, uh, that is used to build this. By the way, the, the Kaaba has been destroyed many times, actually. But the opposite of it is the most important, uh, basically, element that many Muslims, especially those who travel to go there. I mean, for me, at least, I would have said, okay, uh, maybe I can't touch the black stone. That's a black stone. If I couldn't touch it or kiss it, I'm going to wait until next time when it's less crowded. But there are people that fight because this is the only chance to touch the black stone and kiss the black stone. There's the black stone. I'm right. going to show it to you. Absolutely. That's I mean, what he's just talking about. Raising the paper, I can smell it right now. I can smell the perfume that was put in it and everything else because they want to make it smell nice all the time. Now, it looks silver, doesn't it? Because it's got a silver encasement. But the black stone is in the middle. That's right. That's not a stone, by the way. It's pieces. That has stone. not a stone. Yeah. It's actually. Most of it is just cement. However, when you went and you kissed it and you went around it, did that not ever cons- did that not ever seem to you a little odd? You know, even if you think for a second that this is odd, you always remember that, hey, the prophet did it. This is what I'm asked to do. I'll do it. In fact, Omar ibn Khattab said the exact the same thing, right? You know, he says, you know, if, it, if I haven't seen Muhammad kiss you, I wouldn't have kissed you. So you know these stories, but you dare not to question it. And you know a history about it's like, oh, it's black because of the sin of the world. Never that I connected sin to original sin, to my need for Jesus, to the fall of Adam. I mean, you don't connect these things together at all. Oh, so this in some ways is almost a deity. This is almost like a shrine. This is almost committing shirk, is it not? Absolutely. If you're something... And yet this is at the very center of Islam. It is where everybody 
ghosts once in their lifetime. It is what everybody is facing when they're praying. And right there on the eastern corner is a stone that takes away your sin. That is correct. And you know what? You know, Jay, you know, I'm teaching a series right now in uh, the program that you're hitting. And we're talking about this. We're showing, uh, you know, remember the theme that I told the students? I want you to remember every time I'm teaching that Islam is a man-made religion. It's built around idolatry. And every action in here has to do with idolatry. Everything has to do with idolatry. And yet, Is it not the first thing that Muslims throw at us that we are idolatrous, that we have created and elevated a man to the position of God? And what are they doing with the stone? This stone at the very center of Islam. I would like Muslims who are listening to us right now, come back to me. Why is that stone there? What is is it significant? How can a stone take away your sin? And how does it go from white to black? That's right. Tell me. Help me here. Because that's where we're going to go next, folks. That's where we're going to go next. We've told you where we've come from. We've told you where you are right now. I'm going to debunk the black stone, and I'm going to start next week on my own channel. And then Al-Fadi and I are actually going to be doing a whole series on this because I want Al-Fadi to really speak from his own background, from his own tradition, from his own. Well, Billy, you're speaking as an insider, a true insider. And I want all of you Muslims to start answering some very difficult questions. How can you ever tell me, say to me, that we are committing shirk and calling us mushriks and mushrikun because we have elevated, you think, we have elevated Jesus to the position of God. We have never elevated anybody. He was always God. And yet at the same time, here you are spending one time in your life or sometimes like in the case of Al-Fadi, going as many times as he could to go around that building and to try to get to that stone and waiting so he could get to that stone so he could kiss it so he could then absolve himself of his sins. Now, folks, tell me, is that not committing shirk? Is that not hypocritical? And for Muslims to say that they are believe in one God, they put their finger up all the time saying, we believe in only one God, and here there is more than one God. I mean, there's all kinds of things. You want to wait till we get to the Zamzam well, because that we're going to unpack. And Al-Fadi and I are going to start looking at the Zamzam well. We're going to be looking at the Black Rock. We're going to be looking at the footprints of Abraham. We're going to be looking at all these traditions that are surrounding that one building. It's not just the square block, folks. It used to be a different dimension. It's actually been down. As Al-Fadi said, it's been destroyed and rebuilding it. We're going to show you all the different significance and in almost everything you're going to find about Mecca and about everything that's going on in Mecca. It is all full of idolatry. And this is not where God is. God does not allow anybody to be an associate with God. How dare you Muslims associate others with God? Because that's exactly what you've done with that stone, with that building, with those footprints, with that well. And we're going to go on and on with those two mountains that have now been brought down to two stones. Everything you do is idolatrous. And that's why Islam at its very root is as idolatrous as you get. Talk about who are the mushriks and who are the mushrikuns. Folks, you Muslims need to look in a mirror. That's all I'm going to say, because we have an awful lot to unpack. We're just getting and wetting your appetite so that we can go this direction. Because with Al-Fadi and I, listen, we do this all the time. We're great partners, aren't we? And all we're doing is we're debunking myths. We are myth 
what is it? Myth breakers. We debunk one myth after another. You're going to be bringing up another, another good friend of mine, Mel, who is even a great myth breaker because he is helping us, our whole team, as we're asking the historical questions, the questions the Muslims had should have been asking. Why is it we have to ask these questions? Why is it we have to do the research? Why is it we have to then communicate it? Why is it then we have to upload it? And why is it we have to take all the hatred for it? Because you are going to hate us and you are going to yell at us and you are going to try to try to uh, try to shut us down you're going to call us islamophobes you're going to call us all kinds of haters we don't hate anybody we love every one of you but we want to bring you home we want to bring you home away from your idolatry we want to bring you back to the only god the one god his name is jesus christ he has always been jesus christ jesus christ has always existed he has always been uh, waiting for you to come home. He is the one who came to earth. He did die on the cross for you. We don't worship that cross. We don't worship the tree. We don't worship anything. We worship him. And we thank God for what he did 2,000 years ago by dying and rising again. That's all you have to accept. Now, that is nothing to do with idolatry. (laughs) That's to do with theology that's based on one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. I think I've said enough. We want to get them their their, uh, appetites whetted. I think we've done that. We're going to now be delving into the black stone, delving into the Zumzum well, delving into these footprints, delving into all this idolatry. And we want to bring them home. Amen. Brother, um, why don't you tell people how they can find you? Apparently, some people didn't know who you were. Maybe they're living under a rock. I don't know, brother. But uh, t- <laughs> how, how can they how can they find you on online and uh, subscribe to your channel? So once you uh, share that with them, and then I'll close and mention about mail also. Yep. Yes, you can come to Fander Films. It's spelled P F A N D E R. F-I-L-M-S. I'll be putting it on. When I put mine up, I'll be putting it up. You can see it written right down here. So it's Fander with a P because it's named after Dr. Karl Fander, who is a German uh, theologian and Islamicist, who is my hero. Uh, he's the man that, I, that he, I'm trying to emulate. Uh, so P-F-A-N-D-E-R-F-I-L-M-S. Uh, I put up a video, my maybe two or three videos a week. I've been doing this since 2000. And six, I think it is. So for many, many years, come and join us. And the material that we're working on is exactly what El Fadi and I have been doing. What he does, I do. What he says, I say. We're brothers in arms. We're also brothers in Christ. And that's why we love to work together, because we know where we're going. We don't have to stand in the gap. God has already done that for us. And that's why we want to bring you home so you can meet him personally face to face as well. Amen. Amen. And thank you, brother, as always, for uh, your dedication to this. It's, uh, it's You're becoming definitely a go-to uh, a place and authority on this historical criticism of Islam. And what I love about Dr. J is that he takes the time to collect the data for us. Um, even I, uh, you know, because I'm so consumed with the manuscripts that sometimes I tend to just not pay attention to other things because that's not what I'm trying to focus on at the moment. So I'm so thankful for warriors like my brother here who puts his face out there, who stands in the midst of Muslims, not because he doesn't like them, but because he loves them and he wants them to Mm. hear the truth. And again, all of his material, whether he does it on his site or I even borrow from it and do it on my site or we do it together, we're always giving you references. By the way, Dr. J, you should be pleased to know that we've done at least 15 episodes already in Arabic from your material concerning the Qira'at conundrum. So uh, now our uh, Muslim-speaking Arabs will get to hear now your voice through me 
from that material. And we've been showing images also about Dr. Dan uh, Brubaker's work, uh, amazing work that he's done as well. So uh, this is why this partnership between us uh, is uh, definitely to the glory of our Lord, folks. We work together well, and we try to do the best that we can to help our Muslim friends think and reason. They're smart people. They can do it. We're not really attacking him or accusing him that they cannot. We just want him to get over that fear factor and begin to examine things for the simple reason, set free and come to our Lord Jesus Christ who sets you free. With that in mind, this will bring us to the conclusion of the second part of our podcast, Let Us Reason. If you folks uh, will at least uh, come back, I, I don't know yet if we're going to stop this and start all over again. But either way, within the next few minutes, we're going to have a second live stream with our brother Mel, and we will do yet another exciting live stream concerning historical criticism of Islam. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, Syria International. Be sure, of course, to become a supporter through Patreon. Thank you so much. This is Al-Fadi. God bless you. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.